0: God is all-powerful. Let me read a few scriptures for you. This is Jeremiah 10, verses 12 to 13. God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. This is Psalm 50 verse 1. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun until its setting. God has no limits to his authority Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. Mark 10, verse 27. This is Luke 1:37. For no word from God will ever fail. God is the greatest. No one is like you, Lord. You are great and your name is mighty in power. Jeremiah 10, verse 6. God is all powerful. God has no limits to his authority. God is the greatest. God is sovereign. Nothing, nothing of God's, not his plans nor his purposes can be stopped because he is all powerful. He has all authority and he is the greatest. This is Job 42 verse 2. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours, God, can be thwarted. Do you want to come with me on a short journey this morning to discover more of who God is? Yes. <laughs> God is sovereign. Let that just immerse your being. God is all-powerful, almighty. He is the greatest. Now, God's sovereignty is a theological mind field that people have tried to work on for 2,000 years. But if I could offer a... Briefest and most simplest definition of what it is that we keep in our minds through this talk this morning it is this God's sovereignty is his loving power to fulfill his loving purposes. God's sovereignty is his loving power, of which we've just heard, to fulfill his loving purposes. And what are his sovereign purposes, those plans? In a grand scale, they are this, to redeem and restore creation through the love of Jesus. Galatians 1, verse 3 to 5 says this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will, the will of God our Father, to whom be all glory and honour forever and ever. Amen. What has this got to do with Jonah? What has this got to do with Jonah chapter 4? One key theme that spans the whole of Jonah, which we haven't touched upon yet, which is why we're touching on it today, is this. That God is sovereign. That God is all-powerful. His loving power to fulfil his loving purposes. Okay, we're going to look at it in three ways. Oh, that rings a bell, Simon. We've looked at Jonah in the past three weeks in three ways. What are they? Oh, good. Just to say, and I know this is recorded, but just to say that 9.30, none of them. They didn't get any of them. Identity, yeah? Direction. Outlook. Outlook. Not purpose, but we'll get to that, Lizzie, that's fine. Identity, direction, and outlook. So over the weeks, we've looked at Jonah's identity. We've looked at God's identity. We've looked at Jonah's direction in that God calls him to something, he doesn't go in the right direction. But actually, God redeems his direction. We've looked at God's direction upon us and how he is always looking to us always favours us. And we've looked at Jonah and God's outlook as well. And today is going to be the same. We're going to look at this theme, this massive theme of God's sovereignty in these three ways. Okay, let's first turn to the first verses of chapter four. Let me read them to you again from Jonah. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. In essence, that Nineveh has been saved. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I know that you are a gracious and passionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, we've seen Jonah in some pretty... Dark lights up to this point, haven't we? We've seen him run away from God. Try to get away from his presence by fleeing. Running from his presence. Not obeying his commands. Even though his identity is a prophet of the most high. And we get to this bit. And you kind of think, come on Jonah. Something... Something of you has got to be right here. He has just preached to Nineveh a message of God's repentance. To say, unless you repent, you are going to be destroyed. Any other prophet, it would seem, bar Jonah, would have wanted the reverse to happen. Would have wanted that message to get into the Ninevites' hearts and for them to think, Okay, we will repent. We will turn so that God could save them. And as we know from the weeks of our study so far, that happens. And 120,000 people in Nineveh, the whole of the city, turn to God in repentance and in faith. That's a pretty good day, isn't it? There's more people than are in this town of Southport. By one man proclaiming repentance and salvation in God. And they all, the whole town, the whole city, turn to faith in God. And what does Jonah do? He goes outside the city, he sits, he mopes, he looks upon the city, and he moans to God. He is thinking of what he wanted, not what God wanted. He is thinking, I wanted the Ninevites to be destroyed. But God, you saved them. He is thinking that he hoped so much what would happen to them that he would be, that they would be shown no mercy. Yet what does God do? Shows them mercy. He is there pondering to himself what he thinks the Ninevites deserved. And actually, it is what we all deserve. Destruction. Yet, God in his mercy brings about salvation. He's thinking about what he values, not what God values. What he values himself and not who God values everyone. Who is at the centre of Jonah's life? Jonah. Jonah is at the centre of his existence. Listen to this commentator who says this. Jonah's own understanding still remains in primary place. God's way of acting holds no sway against what is central to Jonah's life. Preoccupation with himself With his reputation in the eyes of others, with his own outlook. Jonah's own inflated sense of his own identity looks close to idolatry. Who does this sound like if we're truly honest with ourselves? Sounds like me, sounds like you. What does our culture today say to us about who we are? You be whoever you want to be. So long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, you be whoever you want to be. I won't judge you if you don't judge me. We are the most important people in our lives. So our worldview says. Just be yourself. There is no one better, said Taylor Swift. John Lennon, you don't need anybody to tell you who you are or what you are. You are you. Coco Chanel, a girl should be two things who and whatever she wants. That is what our world is saying to us about our identity. Yet this is not what scripture says. Scripture says this, Mark 9, 35. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, the servant of all. Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now have in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because God is sovereign, who should be at the centre of our lives? God. Because God is sovereign, God should be at the centre of our lives. It is not us who should be at our centre. It is Jesus. The heart of the sovereignty of God. The one who is all-powerful. Almighty, all victorious, yet went down to the pit and gave his life for us. That is the example that we should be following, not Jonah. Not Jonah who's sitting there moping, moaning to God of bringing revival to a city. Jonah. Jonah. Is wrong. Jesus is right. Now, did Jonah have the sovereignty of God at his center? No, of course he didn't. Imagine the story. It would be a lot shorter. Even if we had a chapter four, it would be praise and worship. He would be sitting overlooking Nineveh saying, Lord, thank you for saving them. Thank you that you brought them to a place of repentance so they are under your authority and power and love and grace. No, he just wants to die. Now, very practically, how do we place the sovereignty of God at our centre? This is a shameless plug. You've got to come back next week and for the next nine weeks. Our whole sermon series coming up is about how we, as disciples, as followers of Christ, follow him, placing him at our centre. Making him the centre of who we are and how we live. So, I'm not going to discuss that now. you have to come back, as I say, next week. But because God is sovereign and therefore should be at the centre of our lives, we should, and he does... Directs our plans. Let's look at direction for a moment. Ephesians two ten, for we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ to do good things, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me read that again. We are created by God's handiwork, Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do God prepares and advance stuff for us really the sovereign God the one who created brought everything into being has plans for me has a purpose for me really does that excite you comfort you or scare you Excites me and at the same time comforts me. It excites me that I know that God knows and will direct my path for where we and my family will be in 20 years' time. That gives me such comfort that God is planning where He wants me to minister. It excites me that I know God knows and has plans for Zachary and Primrose. And he knows already what they will do with their lives. The impact that they will make for the gospel. It also excites me that he will know and does know exactly when our baby is going to be born. Lord, may it be quickly, please. I'm running out of patience. But that comforts me. It excites me. It doesn't scare me. God's sovereignty, His ultimate plans and purposes, which will all come to pass, works through the free will that He gives to us. This is quite a hard thing to get our head around. But God is sovereign. He is all-powerful and Almighty, he has plans and purposes for us. Yet we have free will. We have a choice. We have a choice. And God, in his sovereign mercy, gives us that choice. He has not created us to be robots. He's not some puppeteer in heaven controlling our ways. No. God is not a God of control, but he of God in control. And we, as his created children, have the privilege... To place him at the centre of our lives and be led by him. Because God works through the free will that he gives us for his ultimate purposes. This gives me such comfort. Comfort that as I am endeavouring to be obedient to him and his gospel truth. Obedient to be led by his plans and purposes of God in my life. That you know what, if I miss something, if I don't hear him, or maybe I don't listen to him, if I get scared of doing something and I don't, don't go and do it, you know what, God's ultimate plan and purpose will still come to pass. God's purposes will be fulfilled. Let's remind ourselves of Jonah. Did God's ultimate plan for Nineveh come to pass? Yeah, of course it did. God wanted them to turn from their wicked ways, repent and come to know him, placing him at the centre of their lives. But what did Jonah do first? He heard God, but he was disobedient and ran away. Yet... God redeemed his direction, which we've already looked at. He redeemed his direction and placed him on the path of exactly where God wanted him to be. God orchestrated that storm, that whale to come and gobble him up. So he is our guide. God is our guide. If only Jonah had listened and been guided in the first place. If only he had known these verses over his heart. Isaiah 30, 21. Whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Psalm 32, verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. (laughs) And how does this happen? John 14, 26, the advocates, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That's Jesus talking to his disciples. We are guided by God's sovereign plan. But we have to listen and be obedient to him. Such comforts. In my life. And I pray that is a comfort, yet an excitement, not a fear over yours. And the final outlook part, which we look at as we look at the privilege that we can join in on God's mission. Because God is sovereign, all powerful, all mighty, all glorious, all merciful, all gracious, and all loving, He goes before us in His mission drawing us into his promises and his plans for his redemption's purposes. And what are those plans? It's the saving work of Jesus Christ. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God is right now, as we speak, in control of his plans for his creation for the redemption of us. We see that in Scripture. We see that in his heart. But we have a choice. It's always a choice. It is our free will to be guided by his plans, to actually step out and join in with the mission that God's is on here in Southport and beyond. He doesn't need us, you know. If He is sovereign, if He is all powerful and almighty, He doesn't need us. Yet He created us for a purpose. He created us to join in with Him. To be in a relationship with him where we put him at, his, at our centre and are guided by him. Otherwise, why would Jesus say the Great Commission? Go out and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why would he say that? Unless he wanted us to join in with his mission, with his sovereign plans. Why would he say this? The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest fields. We are the labourers. Out there is the harvest field, which God is working in already. Are we going to join in? Are we going to go? Are we going to be obedient to him? This excites me so much. It excites me that God has a plan for the time that me and our family are here in Southport. He has a plan through me that people will come to know Him. He has a plan for you to work through you as obedient followers of Christ to make Christ known in your workplaces in your streets, in your schools. But we have a choice. Are you going to join in? It also gives me that great comfort. Steve last week was so honest and was saying that he is scared sometimes of mission, as we all are. And often, like him, I miss opportunities I feel the promptings of the Lord and sometimes I'm a bit scared and I don't step into that. I am disobedient to him. But the comfort is this, that Nineveh was saved anyway. That Jonah had a second chance. You, I, we have a second chance to join in. What a comfort. That if we miss something, if we don't act upon his calling, that the sovereign Lord's plans through us will still be outworked. Can I invite the band up? I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray over us that this will be the case. So why don't we stand as we do so. The sovereignty of God, the one who created the universe, knows you intimately, loves you intimately, has shown you and I such mercy. My first challenge is an identity one. Are we going to have? The sovereign God at our center? That is a choice. Direction. Are you going to follow the plans, be guided by Him for the plans and purposes He has for your life? Because to be honest, they're going to happen anyway. So you might as well be obedient in the first place. And lastly, our outlook our outlook for Southport's. Are you going to join in on the mission of God, not feeling guilty if we miss something, but being comforted by his sovereignty that his plans and purposes will come to fruition anyway? So as we worship, if any of that rings true in your heart, come and have some prayer on this side of the church. Come and be prayed for, prayed for. Maybe you need to come and repent. Maybe you need to come and offer yourself once more. Come and have a prayer as we worship the sovereign